You need to be more like a dog. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Yeah, looking in the mirror. Be a dog. Whatever happens in leash, it's always a scandal. Why do you think that was? Probably because we're always drinking and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no smoke without fire. That goes to light. I met Tommaso Shea one day and he said, I'm sick of that northern crowd. He said if they went set dancing twice a week, we'd all be set dancing twice a week. I can remember a lad, Jay Booth, right? And he was getting sick, right line like that, <laughs> looking at me like, and I'm going, this is not helping me here. Every man, woman and monkey in me all is, is nearly right in the mouth. Shake the bucket! That's it! Okay, you're very welcome to our Saturday panel here this afternoon. Um, on our panel, we have Declan Lynch, a writer with the Sunday Independent and uh, an author of both fiction and non-fiction, including Days of Heaven, Italian 90 and the Charlton Years, and a couple of critically acclaimed books with John Giles as well. Ross Whitaker is a filmmaker. He recently directed the If Denominated When Ali Came to Ireland. He's also made a couple of boxing documentaries about Bernard Dunn and St. Saviour's Boxing Club. Ken Early, writer, broadcaster, tweeter, star of Off the Ball and purveyor of Ken Early's Newsround. Gentlemen, you're all very welcome to the studio this afternoon. Thanks very much for joining us thanks sir, thanks, sir. Uh, one of the things we're doing on the programme tomorrow is uh, we have an interview with the director of Ali the Mission which is um, one of the new 30 for 30 shorts that's out at the moment and it's available to view on the Grantland website we thought the story was so great that we get your take on it as well it's 1990 Saddam Hussein has invaded Kuwait and scooped up all the available Americans to use as human shields just before um America invades Muhammad Ali flies to Baghdad and secures the release of 14 hostages I just want to play a clip here of um, something that they use in the movie this is just after Ali has secured the release of the hostages Champ all I can say is that there is no way in the world that I can adequately thank you I got words to people it's not me well I know I know but it's you, you literally saved my life I do need publicity, but not for what I do for good. I need publicity for my book. I need publicity for my fights. I need publicity for my movie, but not for helping people. Then it's no longer sincere. That last clip was uh, of Ali in his pomp, but you could kind of hear that Parkinson's had already taken hold of uh, Ali in the bit where he was talking to one of the hostages who had... um been um, released Declan you wrote a great book about 1990 about Ireland this is 1990 um, uh, in Baghdad did this resonate with your sense of that time kind of Um, (laughs) well I I think in terms of uh, you know Ali and his his influence on um, on on the world in general on world affairs uh, probably you know, from to the 60s and the 70s, uh, you know, that was the great influence of Ali. I mean, as a, as a, just a figure, uh, you know, involved in the modernization of the world. I mean, I remember the first time I ever saw television practically was Muhammad Ali, you know. Uh, in certain parts of Ireland, you know, like the, the coming of Muhammad Ali was in some ways like we've been in, in a, a tribesmen in a jungle being visited by some exotic sort of Western figure, you know, taking um, sort of uh, uh, taking paying attention to them or something. I mean, uh, as a he'd so gone beyond sport, even as funny while he was a, an active sportsman. Yeah. That um, almost like, you know, to Saddam, to Saddam Hussein and in 1990, this is almost on his way down, <laughs> you know, uh, like I, I, I don't know if even Ali is a typical figure because he's so overwhelmingly potent uh, as a as a probably a, in the twentieth century he's the most important figure of the twentieth century, um, and above any sort of um, I mean obviously cultural like, figure you mean cultural figure yeah but also um, 
beyond culture as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, what uh, about like Stalin? P- political. Yeah, I mean, well, certainly as a force for good, um, you'd, you'd put him, uh, you know, certainly alongside the other as a force for bad. I mean, Ali was, is, is, is an enormous figure. And I think there is a false distinction often between sports figures and, you know, political figures that say one is important, i.e. political figures are, are unambiguously important and sports figures are somehow just accidentally important. In I don't, I don't buy those distinctions. I think sports figures are, in the course of our daily lives, have more probably importance than most political figures most of the time. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely come back to that theme because it's kind of a recurring theme in, in a lot mm. of your writing. But um, just to stick with Ali for a moment, obviously you've just made a movie ab- about Ali, yeah. but it's kind of more about the characters who were involved in, in that as well. What's your sense of... Because I, I didn't know anything about this story and was really surprised by the footage and the, the just still the kind of power that Ali was wielding at this point in his, in his life. It's, it's amazing really that Ali's stories have kind of been brought down to I suppose the film When We Were Kings or the or the uh, thriller Manila and that's kind of what everyone remembers him for but if you read as I kind of had to do extensively to read about him in, in preparation for making a documentary there are so many different stories about things that he's done and people that he's met and influenced or advice that he's had you know and I think very much reflect uh, what Declan said very much reflected in the people I spoke to in Ireland say Eddie Kerr in the, in the lead up to it he remembered him and all his friends listening into the radio just to hear his fight crackling from somewhere in the world. And that was considered to be something of a major event in his childhood, you know. And and, um, I think that kind of shows just how important he was to people in those years. But I suppose for some reason that continued well beyond that. You know, even for someone born in, in the 70s, you know, who never saw Muhammad Ali fight live, he was somehow, you know, part of the background to my childhood you yeah. know he was posters on people's walls he was kind of everywhere you know and it's I don't think there's any other sporting figure that, that kind of has had that resonance Yeah one of the reasons why um, Ali could do this it's suggested uh, by um, somebody who's writing about this was that Ali hadn't been bought by corporate America he didn't represent Nike he didn't represent anybody any specific brand whereas after him all of the sports people particularly in America were bought up quite young and so therefore became commercialised there's the famous Michael Jordan I, I'm not political because Republicans buy sneakers too um, that actually Ali was kind of free to do this in a way that maybe everybody guarded against afterwards by, by buying them well, I think people are free to do that now but they usually just choose the money anyway I mean there's the choices still exist but who would choose the nobody chooses the 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 sense of having well there's also I, I suppose the fact that you know con- considering that Muhammad Ali was born in what 19 early 40s um, in the American South and kind of was you know the, a major figure in the 1960s which is a much more politicized or openly politicized time than today so I mean you know the Reverend Elijah Muhammad and and so on you know he could become the sort of a figure in his life you know. Uh, it's, it's, I, I don't know if there's anything like that sort of atmosphere surrounding. There's, there doesn't seem to be any expectation. I mean, somebody like Tiger Woods is 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 quite uh, deliberate about n- never getting involved in any sort of political expression of any kind. Except complaining about tax. having to pay too much tax in California. That's yeah. why he moved to Florida. But is it possible that anybody could actually do this again? That there, there will ever be a sports person who mm-hmm. can do that? Well, you see, I think it, it works differently now. You say uh, Tiger Woods has absolutely, apparently he's no interest in um, in politics uh, in, in in that sense. But as a as a, a kind of a 
as, as a figure in himself, he uh, represents kind of, I feel like, basic human things. You know what I mean? A thing beyond politics. I mean, uh, Tiger, I would argue, is like almost, though he appears to be a corporate figure uh, and, you know, bought up in all sorts of ways. In some way, he represents the opposite of corporate bullshit, if you like, because Tiger can't just uh, win a tournament by putting out a press release. Or he has to get that ball into the hole, you know. He has to actually have that kind of amazing talent and, and heart to win all those things, you know. So in a way, he's a kind of a heroic figure uh, in a way that's underappreciated. I mean, when he had all his problems a couple of years ago, uh, people were arguing, oh, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be worried because he'll lose all his corporate sponsorships and because, uh, you know, he's, he's his squeaky clean image. You know, Tiger doesn't have a squeaky clean image. That was just a, a cliche. Mm. He's constantly using bad language. He's constantly behaving badly in all sorts of ways. And yet he's, you know, he has these huge human virtues of, like, you know, heart and, and brains and just enormous boundless talent, which in a way is the antithesis of... What we've, what is, if you like, the culture that has destroyed the world, which is just PR and and corporate nonsense. So actually, he is a, a worthy successor to Muhammad Ali. He's, he's very different. Uh, the world sure. is different. Yeah. I mean, there are no civil rights issues as such as as there were in Ali's time. You know, they're they're not to say the world is just different. You know, but if you like, if you want an antidote. In, in a certain sort of way to the kind of pervasive culture of just, you know, rich people who don't do anything for the money, then Tiger is a pretty good example of it. Like. Certainly on the course, yeah. I, I think if you think about somebody like Lionel Messi, OK, he's he's maybe the biggest sports person in the world now. Um, he, he obviously comes from a pretty sort of sedate middle class background you know and all he's ever done is play football I wonder though if he was to become political in his outlook if he if there was to be something which was to sort of demand his attention or he was to get excited about would he even have the time to do it I mean how many do he, they not have a lot of downtime footballers in the no, afternoons he made like 30 38 million euros last year okay so if you make if you want to make 38 million euros in addition to get, you know playing a lot of football matches and a lot of flight, photo shoots yeah all the time. Every waking minute of his day is already accounted for. Mm. He's, you know, he's kind of booked up. So I don't know if he would even have the, the sort of, you know, downtime, the leisure time to sit around reading. I mean, maybe it would help if he went to jail. It also, it also goes back to what you were saying earlier in that, you know, Muhammad Ali was brought up in a highly politicised time. I mean, this is a guy who reportedly threw his medal into the river because he wasn't served in, in a whites-only restaurant. Lionel Messi is not going to have that experience. Also, Lionel Messi maybe doesn't have the same combination of uh, attractiveness, intelligence, um, you know, that kind of eloquence. worldwide yeah, eloquence that Muhammad Ali would have. So he, he's got to be one in a million. You know, I don't think there's going to be that many of them coming along. Just, but there are still, I think, very obvious places where politics and, and sport hit each other. And like a, a lot of the kind of ideas around racism and in soccer is one, you know, with uh, the player who walked off, the Milan player who, who recently... Kevin Boateng, yeah. yeah. Boateng, who, who recently walked off. I mean, sport has... Like, the racism issue in football, I think, is such a big one. And it could become... some Football could do something very positive for racism. It could be a real a leader in, in stopping uh, racism. Or if it ignores it, it could, could have the opposite effect. So I think sport still has a huge influence. Yeah, so there is still an opportunity yeah. there for... As regards to Lionel Messi, he plays for, for Barcelona, which, uh, in, in, in just in terms of direct politics, the whole issue of Catalan nationalism and Barcelona is the kind of uh, exemplifying that. that. That's really a growing thing. And, uh, and it's probably a direct... Uh, you know, in that terms of sport and politics... 
you know, um, there's a very interesting kind of thing going on there. Uh, in the in a broader sense, sport to some extent has has just outgrown politics and. Uh, in, in the sense that the Champions League, for example, is one of the few ex- things that we see in which Europe, as a, as a concept, is unambiguously a good thing. Yeah. And everybody agrees with it. Almost without in any explicit mention of the thing, it works. Europe works in terms of football and everyone wants it to work and everyone enjoys it and would be bereft without it. So in, in an odd way, football has demonstrated how, how a concept like Europe can work in a way that politicians haven't been able to do, you know. Yeah, do you think there is an opportunity around the racism issue for football and footballers to become a bit more politicised and maybe to tune back into real life and real society in a way that the money might have prevented them? Well, I don't know. I mean, Thierry Henry tried this a few years ago. Um, what he did was he... But he got a Nike armband. Yeah. He basically just copied the Lance Armstrong idea. You know what I mean? It was like, let's have... Uh, I think it was a, I don't know, was it a black and white wristband. Yeah. And, you know, there wasn't really any... There wasn't really any sense of originality there about what Thierry... It was kind of a copy of a previous sports corporate campaign, you know what I mean? Um, in terms of whether it can... You know, I, I don't really think that sport can r- change things in the real world most of the time. But in in the case of racism, certainly if you look at the experience of um, of what's happened in the UK, then you could say, I think there probably has been an impact. Because what it does is it doesn't... You, you can't change things. Or it doesn't actually change anything. It reflects the society... It, it, so it shows the society as it sort of is, but it does so in a public arena. <clears throat> Excuse me. Everybody is uh, because everybody is watching it. Um, it's sort of this this kind of racism which maybe goes on every day on the street or was going on in in England in the sixties and seventies. You know, um, there are massive you know, riots. Someone has has moved in from Pakistan and is running the the shop on the end of the street, and all the neighbours are you know complaining about it. Um, well, you so you got to see these sort of this racism actually in the in the public arena with everybody watching, and it sort of drives home in a in a sense the ugliness of of what it's about. You know, where, where, to see in 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 public what in private is happening all the time. To um, then suddenly people say, "Well, hang on, this is not this is not acceptable." Or in that sense, it can be it can sort of be a, a leader, or or it can lead how people then. Um, in their private lives are reacting to this issue. Am I making this? Yeah, yeah. So basically when uh, John Barnes juggles a banana that gets thrown to him by the crowd, everybody goes, this is disgusting and we need to do something about it. And football begins to take control of what happens in the stadium and the hope is that that radiates outwards. It begin- yeah, it begins to. I mean, I think, you know, in, in, all, in all kinds of things, people do things in, in private which when they don't think they're going to get caught that they wouldn't do in public. Um, when you see this, when by sport by providing a public arena helps to demonstrate why certain ways of behaving are unacceptable. Whether it really affects what people think privately, who knows? But it certainly affects how they behave when other people are watching. I think as well that if, if footballers or if sports administrators don't do something, they are already making a political decision. Do you know what I mean? They are choosing to not make uh, get involved, not do things that actually help the situation, and that. Almost an invariably hinders it, you know, yeah. or endorses it. So, but I think what Ken says is right. I mean, sport has such a massive audience; you cannot ignore its influence. I think if you look at the three most highest-rating programs on on Irish television last year, they're the Toy Show, Katie Taylor winning the Olympics, and Ireland losing to Croatia in the European Championships. So you're talking about millions of people, even in Ireland, watching sporting events. So of course, it's going to have an influence. It's the last great collective thing that we share huddled around the TV yeah and some of it is to do with uh, with, with kind of uh, t- timing uh, 
like for example, we spoke earlier about Muhammad Ali at a particular place in time. He, a lot of things coalesced to make him this amazingly potent figure. And going back, say, to the Italian 90 thing, uh, you know, at, at a particular time in Ireland, uh, forces coalesced whereby Jack's team represented very important things about Ireland. And for example, it became un- less embarrassing to wave a tricolour. You know, around the time the North and all that sort of stuff made it, uh, basically the tricolour was equated with the IRA essentially. And suddenly people took advantage of the opportunity that, that Jack's team offered to actually be patriotic in a kind of way that couldn't be be otherwise. It represented that, that whole thing of uh, emigrants meeting together on this kind of neutral ground in Germany almost, you know. Very powerful kind of um, f- feature there. And and even the fact that, you know, the, the great granny rule or the grandmother rule, you know, uh, what, what that symbolised in terms of a kind of a sort of a payback for emigration. But... Uh, but a payback we didn't deserve because these people had been sent off like more or less uh, packed away yeah. uh, and say good, goodbye right so uh, all these things came together at a certain time and then Mary Robinson got elected president at the end of that year and you know it, maybe any of those, those things individually mightn't matter but for some reason at a certain time all these things came together and Irish people I think became, felt for some reason that they were getting the breaks because Jack's team were lucky, they, they, they seemed to get most of the breaks that were going. I think that that's a very, very powerful thing. It can be very important. If you just have a sense that no matter what you do, everything's going to go wrong. Suddenly you see things like, you know, Ireland uh, getting being drawn against Romania in the last 16 instead of against uh, Germany. Yeah. You know, you sort of think maybe the gods are, are, we are in good standing with the baleful gods after all, you know. So uh, that thing of, that you know, collision of, of, of politics and sport and the real world and sport you know it's hard to generalise about it but at certain times in certain places it all comes together in really odd sort of ways um, I know you do have the, the the belief that actually it's a more important thing on a day to day basis as well you've written about the coy bit at the end of questions mm. and answers when somebody asks the funny sports question and the politicians mm. to unbutton their their ties and start yeah. slagging each other off about the county that they come from. Yeah, th- that to me is self-evident. I, I, it's such an obvious thing uh, that I don't know how it would be even ever a question. I mean, we have this structural um, mistake, if you like, a historical structural mistake whereby because one is simply, say, a, a Fine Gael TD, one's views are supposedly sought and are supposedly interesting, whereas in fact they're obviously not interesting 99% of the time or of any merit at all. Right, I think everyone agrees that it's such a very obvious point. Yet, simply by being by dint of being a sort of uh, in in the political forum, uh, you, your views are cons- are considered valid and and, and sought out. Um, whereas the you know the, the sport on a daily basis consumes people's lives in in a way that's so much more engaging, so much so much more interesting, and on a, on such a higher level. Uh, that these things seem self-evident to me, you know. I'm going to ask you why it's on a higher level in a moment. I just mm. want to get some uh, texts in. We've uh, had a, a massive response to this. Funny enough, a lot of people have um, felt the need to text in the names of people who are sports people who are also politically engaged. No mention of Manny Pacquiao and Klitschko, two boxers who are elected politicians, says Neil in Dublin. Uh, Riley in Letterkenny says, didn't Didier Drogba go back to the Ivory Coast to try and stop a civil war breaking out? Manny Pacquiao has a similar effect in the Philippines when he fights. There is that... Um, well trotted out rumour that the crime rate is zero in the Philippines when Manny Pacquiao fights. Uh, what about the 1995 Rugby World Cup in South Africa that changed the history of that country says John in Dublin. Well if you go to the Apartheid Museum in Johannesburg it's pretty much the central event of 
of the display there. Um, you know, Nelson Mandela handing over the trophy to uh, Francois Pinar. So, uh, obviously, in the story that South Africa wants to tell about itself, which actually is basically as written by John Carlin in the book Invictus, yeah. of which uh, which festoons the Apartheid Museum, quotes from that book are everywhere. It's kind of like they're, you know, this is this was like, well, certainly John Carlin got there first in terms of telling this story. But yeah, I mean, you couldn't deny the, um, certainly the importance that they place upon that moment in South Africa. All right, just to bring everybody up to date, Zabaleta scored for City in the 85th minute. It's uh, Stoke Nail City won in the fourth round of the FA Cup at the Britannia so four minutes left for Stoke to uh, pull something out in that one our uh, panel this afternoon we have Declan Lynch of the Sunday Independent Ross Whitaker, who's a, a director and our own Ken Early as well and we're talking about why sport matters to people um, why do you think people do uh, converse on a higher level when they talk about well, sports well I'll tell you just on, a, on a, almost like on a kind of a prim- primitive level in the course of, of a day uh, much there is much in in one's life that is unresolved and that that, that is um you know uh, a great it, it's you know confused in our lives the sporting events are among the few things that there's actually a result at the end of it right at the end of the day you know liverpool beats Sheffield Wednesday right we, this we know but there's very few, very little that we know for sure in this world but we know that say you know City are one up against Stoke right we know this for sure and this is why uh, there is a kind of a, it's almost like the shipping forecast you know there's a kind of a, a reverence for certain things you know in, in the BBC called this so brilliantly many years ago when they had the football results being read out with this note of great solemnity Deep seriousness, you know, by a, a man with a with very important sounding voice. Yeah, you, they could they could have decided sport. That's just a bit of a laugh. We'll have a comedian in, and he'll kind of make jokes along with it, and uh, you know, everyone will have a great great time then. You know, but in fact, they realise that no, this is serious. Th- these things are very important. That something is resolved. That something has happened here, and and why not have it as important as the shipping forecast? You know, uh, or in the same kind of, kind of tone. In the same way, say someone like Sean Ogle Calicon for like a hundred years came in to the RT on Sunday night and read out every GAA match in the country uh, with this you know, note. So these, these were important things, you know. And, and if only for that reason, instinctively we know that these things are important and we know that when mistakes are made and errors are made kind of in a, in, a, in a apparently careless way that there's something wrong with that. There's something that people don't get about sport because one of the great things is, of course, that if it's not done in a certain obsessive sort of way, it it doesn't work you know it does matter at a very high level to people and these are more kind of instincts that we have rather than anything but I think that you know it's it's represented very much by that kind of tone of seriousness with which just results are and should be read out yeah know? it's funny you know many years ago um, for what it's worth I, I when I was in college I actually did kind of a study on this anthropolo- anthropological link to sport because um you know, when you see like football brands like Manchester United or, or uh, well, Manchester United are obviously the best example, you know, going, trans, you know, transporting their name around the world and selling millions of merchandise and so on. They've actually kind of managed to spread their brand by spreading a kind of tribal idea, you know, and we've, we've kind of gone from a more tribal society over thousands of years to an individualized society. And a lot of people argue in the anthropological world that uh, we've replaced that tribalism with sport. You know that we have our colours, we have our our common uh, brethren that are coming together to fight a common foe. You know, so I think that sport kind of has a tribal link that is very, very instinctive in humans. Mm. And I think that's why we feel so strongly about it. And I know from 
like I was working on the Olympics and I was working on the World Cup and I was cutting together the the highlight montages, you know, and the music you can use in those things. Mm. You can never use in anything else. You can never use in a documentary because you can be so epic with sport because you don't go to the cinema and cheer and scream mm. and, you know, go home depressed. But we feel so strongly about this. It's the one outlet, I think, where we can actually go and, and scream at the television, you know, <laughs> and I think that really shows how it's separate from everything else. Uh, Sean has texted and said hi lads I think it's the existence of people like Ali Tiger and Michael Jordan that changes things rather than what they say or whether they're political or not I don't think America would now have a black president without people like those three mm. uh, that's a whole whole another question um, Ken as somebody who watches and talks about football um, do you agree with what Declan's saying and with what Ross is saying um, you know you, you cover football it's part of your life mm. well I mean in terms of the the appeal that it has or the sort of strength of its power over uh, over people. I mean, I think it's it's a lot more interesting than usually people's lives. And it kind of, uh, it like what you were saying about it, there's an outcome. I mean, every match is kind of a story. You watch these stories. I mean, it's like the same if you're watching a TV show. You know, you were, a large part of the reason why you're watching it is you want to find out what happens. Um, <clears throat> I mean, you can't, it's, it's, there are very few good movies made about sport, or at least ones where they actually show the sporting event because integral to the, to the draw of actually watching this thing is nobody knows. Nobody knows what's going to happen as opposed to it, you know, having a pre, like the Mighty Ducks or something where you know that they're going to yeah. win. And, you know, it's, it's rubbish. Like, it's not. Um, so this is a, this is kind of stories that you can follow every week. I mean, I don't want to say soap opera, but I suppose it is a bit like that. I mean, a soap opera takes your everyday, people's everyday lives and turns them into sort of storylines, which in fact is not the way that your everyday life really is. I mean, it's mm. not a story. It's just something, it's a sequence of events that happen. You, mm. you, you can think about them and maybe organize them into some kind of story-like form, but it's not really like that. And if you, ultimately, maybe the story that it's telling isn't a very nice one. You'd rather, you'd rather be able to focus on what's happening with, uh, with teams, you know, teams sort of striving for supremacy, you know, this sort of never-ending saga that goes on. Um, you know, I think that has, that, uh, that has something to do with the appeal. But, I mean, I, I agree totally what Ross is saying in terms of the, um, the tribalism. I mean, I think Vincent O'Toole had written a thing about this recently when Rory McIlroy had become... You know, was in was in the Nike family. He was being welcomed into the Nike family by you know Wayne Rooney and all these people. And it's like you know, this is clearly a more important marker of his identity than anything to do with Northern Ireland, Britain, Ireland, Protestant, Catholic. He's kind of gone beyond all that. This is a this is a more important thing mm. now. It's a, it's a more significant thing about him. And it's the same with with a lot of people. I mean, you see people on Twitter. You know, people have like the they have a photo of like a football player or. Uh, or you know, uh, Manchester United strip, you know, and or in their in their bio, there's a, that's one of the main things about them, you know, support Man United, and uh, it's it's clear that, I mean, we we're talking here, I suppose, as though people have always had, that, you know, when we say these have replaced the old sort of tribal markers, I don't really think to an extent that those the the sense of nationality or of nationhood existed in the same way as we now think it does before you had this kind of sport. Mm. Like, I mean, the, the World Cup started at around the same... This, the World Cup is older than the United Nations, you know, which has actually been a more important um, factor in sort of creating the idea of, uh, of there being an international community, you know, that, that of the international community as something meaningful. I remember reading... Do you know Tim Parks, the guy he wrote... The, he wrote a, a book Corona. about football. He wrote a, a lot of novels as well. Um saying that uh, he, he had a thing about the, the World Cup the, obviously it's famous the, the English FA didn't send a team 
to the first mm. couple of World Cups because they were like, well, why would we do that? <laughs> this is and, and it's traditional to kind of go, well, that's just the English thinking that they're, that they're above the rest of the world. But in fact, well, his argument anyway was that they just didn't think this was what football was for. Why have this like imaginary sort of competition between countries so somebody gets to be the notional sort of king of football? It's nonsense. Football is about every Saturday, you know, one village against the village down the road and, you know, you get the people in the stands cheering them on and that's what it's for. It's not It's not some kind of contest for world supremacy, you know what I mean? We've now kind of become accustomed to thinking of it in those terms, but that's maybe something which football has created rather than something which it was invented to address, you know? Yeah, it's fascinating, just uh, pointing them up a little while ago as well, about uh, movies and, like, why, say, there are very, very few good football movies and one of the reasons I think is that you know the movie kind of uh, mindset is to sort of say, well, we'll take football now, which is a very fine thing in itself, but we must elevate it into something uh, into into an art form whereby you have like things like love interest and and so forth, right? And uh, by starting from that premise, they completely miss the thing somehow. So even like with Nick Hornby's. Uh, book uh, which is entirely uh, you know about uh, male obsession and, and such things they it, when when it came to do the movie they it sort of you know due, due to, just because that's the way it's done they insisted that he have a, a girlfriend and that that be the main issue in the thing and it just was no good right uh, because it, it it they're always adding stuff they're, they're they're trying to sort of add the these even like with the Brian Clough the damned united the love interest was Clough and Peter Taylor you know that that was the the main relationship at the center of it. They had to have that, you know. And in fact, you don't need that probably. But uh, I don't know how you'd make it. How you'd make it? Where all I know is it doesn't work the way it's done. And I think that's the reason why that they they just don't in a way accept the the importance or the nature of football in itself as this kind of superior thing almost. I mean, you know, uh, again, like Anthony Sher, one of the great actors of our time. He will get a great reception at the Royal Shakespeare Company, but no one is going to stand up and you know bellow in you know insanely with with enthusiasm when he finishes his speech or a uh, program uh, if he if he screws up either yeah, yeah whatever yeah as as they will when say Nathan Eccleston misses a penalty and you one, know, and, one uh, of the only so. successful movies about football that I remember seeing is um, the Das Wunder von Bern, the German movie about the 1954 World Cup. Have you ever seen it? Did you? It's no, amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Um, I mean, they they had some pretty decent uh, reconstructions of the of the action. I mean, much better than most of what I've seen. They also, as as the, as is the case in you know the movie The Fighter with um, Marky Mark, used the actual commentary, the the actual radio commentary from the game, sort of overlaying. You know, um, Herbert Zimmerman is very famous in Germany. Is this? Oh, you know, he they they beaten Hungary is how most people follow the game, but they they. Also, sort of incorporate a whole the the whole storyline is about um, you know the, this family which has kind of been broken up by the war, uh, and the father's been a prisoner of war you know in Russia and he's just kind of come back uh, and to obviously quite a tense family situation you know there's a friendship then between the little kid who's uh, and Helmut Rahn who scores the winning goal you know so there's all that kind of movie stuff going on but because the stories are are really about the same thing like the kind of uh, uh, you know, West Germany winning the World Cup. What you know, a kind of an amazing an comeback opportunity for them to go. Well, you know, at least we can be happy about that. Um, in this sort of bomb destroyed country, and also this, the family is it's kind of the same story in in microcosm in a way, sort of dealing with the trauma of what had happened in the war, 
Um, so, so I think it kind of worked because the because it didn't feel like the the sort of human interest mm. story was just kind of Grasped stitched on, on exactly, yeah. and, uh, and and so it worked well. But there are not very many examples of that, I don't think. Uh, Ross, you um, your first movie was a boxing film about uh, Saint Saviour's Boxing Club. Yeah, was that always your intention? Like, did you love sports and then become a filmmaker, or did you realize that sport had so much? power that you needed to make your first film about sports? Well I think as a, as a documentary filmmaker the hardest thing is to find the ending of a film like it's very easy to find the beginning and the middle and what, it's something that Declan kind of alluded to earlier on is that sports gives you an outcome you know so if you're following someone's life even we're doing a film at the moment that's going to take I think over two years to make and people's we're trying to I suppose get a sense of of what it's like for young people in Ireland today and by actually following them over a course of time and getting some actual character development and seeing how, how their lives evolve but it has actually a sporting arc as well so at some point there's going to be a World Cup in this sport and the team are going to win or lose and, and that'll feel like the natural culmination of it you know so that's what sport actually gives you and and it's funny how sometimes sports people's lives do kind of go along a similar path to to the rest of their lives. You know, I mean, if if you're, it's almost like what you're saying about Italian ninety. When you feel you're winning, you feel you're winning. You know what I mean? And, and it does actually, on an individual basis, bring a lot of positivity to people's lives. Yeah. Um, I, I think I probably came into it from I think the first thing I saw that made me want to make a film was when we were kings. So I mean that had everything you know and, and actually it's interesting the Pacquiao point because the filmmaker that made that film is now making a film about Pacquiao which is due out this year so uh, that that story will be told you know um, so I, I think that's the thing with sport and, and documentaries that it gives you an opportunity to have an outcome otherwise it's very very hard to have an ending I think and or at least people's lives will always go on beyond the end of your story uh, yeah, someone has to where, die usually yeah, to where provide do you, a proper ending where do you end like it? like Mr. Hamlet so recently and you know People just die all the time, literally just to provide a sort of a, a happy moment or a sort of sad moment. You know, it's kind of like it's the only way that you could really get an end is something that actually has to expire. It's unfortunate. <laughs> Declan, when did you like fall in love with sport? Was it always just a part of, of life as a kid or is this, a, is this something that you yeah. came to as a, a realisation? No, I mean, my father used to take me from the earliest age to see at Lone Town, <laughs> which, of course, imbued in me a great love of football. Uh, so that was it, really. You know, I mean, uh, my, my father was, was uh, a football man, if you like. And uh, from, oh, I mean, the time I was, you know, seven years of age, I would be going to matches and stuff. And uh, and then um, that, that that's it. You know, I mean, it, it was just totally part of my life. And... Um, uh, Do you think people are coming around to your way of thinking that it is far more important than we give it, than the position that we generally give it? Uh, I don't think, uh, if you like, official Ireland will ever come around to that point of view. But I think the vast majority of people just know that already. And in the way that they live their lives, they, it, it's a self-evident thing. For example, I mean, uh, Joe Duffy used to do this program at the end of every year, the you know highlights of the year. Now, he just called it highlights of the year. Uh, but nine of them would be sporting events it wasn't the sports highlights of the year that wasn't the name of the programme but the the viewers would vote this thing and without even thinking about it it's 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 one of these things that are so obvious that no one even thinks about it or analyses it you know the sport is is inherently more important than almost anything else. like say, say the way the, the seasons the very seasons right spring is Cheltenham you know, it's not. But many people say it's a letter writers to the Irish Times going on about the first cuckoo and stuff like this. No, it's Cheltenham. You know, uh, so the, even like the uh, nature itself is uh, 
contiguous with the uh, with sport to to a lot of people you know and not just to a minority of obsessives to a great deal of people um, and whether you know it's officially acknowledged or not uh, I don't think it ever will be simply because if you like that political class sort of owns so much of the public space again due to that terrible historical error from way back which who knows where that started but uh, they, they, and they're not going to give that up so they, for, we will forever hear that sort of strange note jocose note whenever sport is mentioned as though this was the irrelevant funny bit at the end whereas the, the Fine Gael policy document was the really crucial bit that everybody cares about you know Well hopefully uh, we can do something about that My thanks to our panel this afternoon Declan Lynch Ross Whitaker and Ken Early we've really enjoyed it we've got to take a quick break and we'll be back with all the team news from the 3 o'clock kickoffs. News Talk Sport, Saturday, in association with UPC, the fibre power network that delivers Ireland.